With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live.
Well, welcome, everybody. It's another version of the Outrage Off-Road Live. The Baja Crew, Monster Mike, all live on the beach at the Baja Club, the Baja Racing Club, on the Golden Sands in San Diego. Well, welcome. It's uh, uh, almost midsummer. I think we just got a few more days. It is July 18th. 2016, and we're at the Baja Racing Club in San Diego, on the beach, on the Golden Sands in San Diego, on the Pacific Coast, on the Pacific Ocean, and of course we're celebrating uh, the the great surfing events that are coming up in the next couple of weeks, which we'll be attending and reporting on here on Off-Road Live. We do want to mention that our friends are here, Ram Trucks, Hard Rock, Marlboro, Budweiser, Red Bull, BajaSafari.com, the king of Baja, and Team Valvoline. We've got uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, racing information for you. Uh, We certainly have the uh, Sierra LED or Barstow 250 results from July 16th uh, this past Saturday. We've got the, those racing results from more racing. And, of course, we'll be reporting on the Snore event coming up in the next couple of weeks. You know, they, we, we still do have desert racing going on, even though it's midsummer. We'll take a look at the race results from the Barstow 250 in just a minute. We are live at the Baja Racing Club. And remember, we've got big racing results coming up. And, of course, uh, we also have uh, the uh, barbecue, uh, Monster Mike's Barbecue, coming up on August the 8th. Well, we've got our special guest on the line, Baja Bill. Are you there? I am. How are you? Is it right? I have you on speaker? That's uh, fine. I was going to say, sometimes I can't, uh, I don't know if it comes across very well. So I'll just leave it on speaker. If you want me to take it off, I can't. No, no worries. Uh, let's welcome Baja Bill Fuentes on the line. We're going to talk about uh, a couple of projects that he's working on, as well as uh, uh, Amex and Score Vets are now uh, uh, collaborating on a greater scale, uh, having to do with the uh, inquest into Kirk Caselli's uh, death uh, at the 2013 Baja 1000. But let's first introduce Baja Bill Fuentes. Bill, why don't you take a minute, and, and seriously, how about five minutes, and uh, – uh, give a little brief uh, verbal resume of uh, who you are. All right. I'll do my best. Uh, golly, I think the first time I ever went down to Mexico for uh, Baja was in 1969, and I fell in love with the place. Uh, 
one morning I was playing with my cars out in the sand, and I heard this great roar coming down Highway 1. And I was listening and was going on forever. It sounded like a big uh, semi-truck. And um, lo and behold, it was the Strop team. Uh, they were doing their what's called a uh, 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 shakedown run uh, right by our beach house uh, just south of Rosarito. And I marveled at it. Two years later, I'm meeting Bill Strop. Um, for the first time, and he was my hero before I met him. And thanks to Benson Ford Jr., an heir to the Ford Motor Company, who was a partner and uh, my, my a business partner, my dad, I got to meet Bill, and I got to spend a lot of time with him and Walker Evans and Larry Meyer and all those uh, big big guys at the time, and it had an indelible impression on me. And uh, they're just normal human beings having a lot of fun, but they they found that the magic in Mexico, and uh, I think I have too. And uh, that's why I call myself a Bajaholic. If you say Baja, I'm going. Um, got a college degree in U.S.-Mexican relations, and I was working towards a master's in homeland security. And uh, I speak Spanish fluently, and I've probably been helping out uh, SCORE events ever since they first started helping me, which was in 1973. I uh, got approval. Um, Mickey Thompson did something. He, he overrode his own attorneys and let a 14-year-old boy race uh, class 20. And I didn't let Mickey down. I thanked my dad for that, too. Um, I finished uh, third in class and got $700, and that was that really hooked me right there. 14 years old, and I got $700 for finishing third at Riverside. And that was the first score event. Um, and then after that, uh, Mickey and then Sal went out of their way to let me race when I was 15, 16, and 17 uh, on the, uh, in the open class. And I had a great time, and I was just lucky and blessed. There's two words there, uh, lucky and blessed. And I didn't uh, didn't didn't feel like I was taking advantage of it at all. You know, I was just uh, living in the moment, and really, really look back now and how valuable that was to me. And I would wish it on any other kid. Uh, Robbie Borden had it. Uh, so did Annie McMillan. And uh, I, you know, I just uh, I couldn't be more happier where I'm at today uh, as a result of people in Mexico and uh, the people who were surrounded in off-road racing. Well, you have a couple of things that you want to talk about. Bill, why don't we talk about uh, your story writing first? Go ahead. Sure. sure. I'd like to give back. I'd like to give back to Mexico and also uh, to the, not only to the industry, but uh, for some reason in those, those years of the 70s, I had, most kids have uh, this innate ability to remember things, very, very detailed. Now, can you imagine somebody with a vivid memory who or is as eager as someone as I, a young kid sitting in front of Bill Strop and spending two hours with him just talking about off-road racing. I mean, the, 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 the trove of information that he passed along and that I passed on to him from report writing and stuff like that, it was just really something that, that has stuck with me. And, and those memories from the 70s, for example, are still with me today, and I'd like to get them out there because there's really that's nothing's, nothing's changed. Forty years later, we have technology. Let's use it as a tool and, uh, and send it to Mexico in Spanish and also to our you know, kids here that even though we didn't have telephone, I mean, we didn't have uh, Internet, Facebook and stuff, we got along somehow. We could go down and, and go pre-running for a week and kiss our mom or loved ones good, uh, goodbye. We didn't say, we'd say, we'll see you in a week. We, we couldn't call them from down there. And to me, that, that's just something I, I, I don't know if I, I – I don't doubt it at all. I think I think the kids could sit next with their grandparents and say, "Did you really live like that? Did you really go down there where there was nothing?" 
Yeah. Yeah, we did. It's okay. We survived. And we had fun. Well, yeah. Hey, Bill, let's talk about that that you're going to be doing some story writing, you're you're getting images and putting some multimedia together. How do people uh, find uh, the material that you're working on, and and uh, what what uh, name do you have it titled under? I don't have a whole lot of means to do anything right now. I, I started this project back in 2011 and ran it by Roger Norman, and then also uh, he said, well, go talk to Bill Bauer about it. So I talked to Bill, and, and I sent him a, a video of what what the pattern was going to be or what kind of message it was. And he goes, Bill, this is generational. This is something that the, the kids could, uh, you know, like I just said earlier, you know, they could sit down with their parents and grandparents and, and watch this and uh, and hear the stories. How will that be funded? Mm-hmm. I'd like to go ahead and uh, make the same kind of offer I did uh, to uh, uh, Trackside Photo a couple of years ago with, and thanks to Roger Norman about that. He says, just go ask him how much it's how much is it for all of his black and white photos. And I did. I asked Jim. I said, how much do you want for that? And he couldn't get back with a uh, with an answer. So I guess I'll just go back to him hand, hat in hand and just uh, ask him how much they want to, if or if I gathered like a thousand dollars or something like that and just sent it to Trackside. What would I get in return? And that's where the new idea comes in. If you have a story. If you have something that, that would really be meaningful to both Mexico and the uh, to kids on both sides of the border, let us know and tell us uh, if there's photographs or, or records of it and let us tell the story for you. We'll interview you and then have you approve it and then let you push the button to, to send or to post it. And uh, I think that's the fairest way to do it. And uh, what will it cost to do that? I don't know, the price of the photo. I'd sure like to have some sort of compensation uh, for what I do. Uh, I don't. I'm not. I'm hard at asking for, for help. Though. Yeah. What What title have you given it? What name? Um. There was a. There was a. Well, I have. I have a little video that I'm going to put out. I, did, I put it out on Facebook today, and I'm going to put it in a, a GoFundMe. But I had a Spanish name for it, and now I'm trying to think of something different. Like, um, uh, you know, there was Dust to Glory. That That was a kind of a catchy title, but I want uh, something like uh, History and Memories um, or, you know, uh, what Rod, Rod Koch uh, wrote, When the Green Flag Drops, something that's just kind of ambiguous uh, so that people will uh, kind of look into it and say, well, what is this about history and memories? Understood. Have you have you read any of Rod's books? Yes. Yes, and I'll be meeting with him soon. Uh, he's a great guy, uh, still alive and kicking, and, uh, you know, he was a rally driver, Introduced to me by John Elkin up in uh, uh, Washington. John, if you're listening, thank you for the uh, the introduction. Um, but no, Rod's uh, very eager to get together, and uh, he has some old footage from the, I believe, 1969 to 1978 uh, that's never been published, and he wants to give it to me so that uh, you know we can get the the message out there about the same kind of feeling that he had in his books, and they're and they're brilliantly written, um, very uh, illustrative of. Uh, the land, the people, the humor uh, that would go on, and the camaraderie that was going on down in the 70s. I don't know if there's that much of that. There's much of that now, but uh, you know, camaraderie Camarad- and Baja racing. Well, it, it's it's been ha- it's been strange, hasn't it? You know, and I was thinking about something that you wanted to talk about today, and that is the the what I believe is the personal and professional obligation to remember uh, your surroundings and who's even though it's your competition 
um, don't let money get in the way of, uh, of health. You know, uh, I know the score has made some changes where they say we'll 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 make it a, a time allotment and, uh, uh, for you. If you stop and help somebody, just we'll calculate it and uh, and give you credit for that time. I think that's a good move, it's, but it's far too late to come in. But so be it. Yeah, but that that really hasn't been the focus of the organization. Uh, the upcoming uh, uh, quote unquote safety event that they have scheduled uh, is merely for equipment sales. It's uh, it's really not uh, uh, ha- having anything to do with uh, safety regarding the uh, racers' lives. Yeah, well, no, that, you know, it's, it's it's called called the window dressing, or I guess uh, you know everybody's got to make a dollar. But let's let's put some meat into this thing. You know. Um, I'm sorry to bring this one up, but you know uh, the day that I heard that uh, uh, Kurt Caselli had died, um, after all the thousands and thousands of miles, after the hundreds of miles that he, 200 miles that he rode it, you know, from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. that day, he had a guardian angel. He's running through all these areas in the darkness in the lead, didn't have a problem. Nine minutes and 11 miles later, uh, things stopped for him permanently. And uh, what bothered me is that I knew from the time I remember where I was and who told me, I said, somebody has to go and investigate that. And that's the, uh, that was the, the, the genesis of uh, score bets, is that people wanted to know what happened. They didn't want to be told what occurred. They want to know what happened, but they didn't believe it. And the, and the, the, uh, the, the, the total number of men who have uh, died in a, during a Baja race is in a handful. You can't name them. More than five. Five men have died on motorcycles uh, in bar racing since 1967. Do you want me to name them? No, that's not necessary, but I think what we do need to do for the audience, uh, because uh, the the history of uh, motorcycle deaths isn't necessarily something that we're trying to focus on, but, but Bill, I think you need to tell the audience how close you were uh, with the Caselli family and with Kurt in particular? Well, you know, I would have to, you know, give credit first to my association with the Checkers Motorcycle Club. Um, I was given that uh, that opportunity to be their president uh, all the way in the 1990s. And then, you know, by, 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 I don't know, association, you meet everybody. And, uh, you know, Kurt was a, a, a skinny little kid racing around with his boogers hanging out. Uh, but Rich and I were friends, and I got introduced to Rich by a fellow checker named Dean Wood. And uh, Dean would talk about how generous uh, uh, Kurt would be with his, his uh, riding gear. I remember that. I said, how kind and considerate of a young man to give his riding gear to, to somebody less fortunate. And um, and then, you know, when I talked to Rich, I just find he's just a human being, but a wise and very caring father. A wise and very caring father. Uh, and And that I could appreciate. So, uh, lo and behold, when, when it was time for Kurt to come on board with KTM back in 2002, 2003, somebody said, Bill, why don't you go contact Scott Harden and see if uh, you guys can help out Kurt? And I did. And Scott uh, hired me on as the assistant off-road manager, had me rebuild the team. And I, this is, I guess, in answer to your question, how close it is, is how close I am to racing. How's this? When, when Kurt came on board, I, I says, hey, Scott, we need to have the father with the son in this deal. Kurt's not going to perform the same if his father is just kind of an outside figure, in my opinion. And Scott says, you're right. Call Rich and ask him what it will take. And I did. 
And then I said, now you, and I told Rich after I found out, I says, I walked in the sky, I says, all you guys do is have to, to talk. And, uh, it was, and, and Rich was so appreciative of that. And, uh, you know, there, there was a, a race, the first race that we ever did. I mean, this is, talk about closeness. I, I prefer deeds rather than words. We were, it was the, the 2003 Barstow, uh, see, I'm sorry, the uh, Vegas to Reno. And uh, Kurt and Joey Lonzo were running the KTM uh, 540, had problems with the heating uh, and the stator. And uh, the, kids, the kids, I call them the kids, they were running about fifth overall in their first race together with a big factory. And um, they lost the stator at mile 200 in Riverton. And Scott Harden and Mike Tripes, the uh, chief, said, hey, guys, if you want to quit, we would understand that. You can go ahead and come out with this. But we got to do man up tomorrow. And Rich walked over to me. And he had his head down. He said, hey, Bill, if it's, if it's all the same to you, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but if it's all the same to you, I, I don't think this is a good time to teach my kid to, how to quit. I said, get in the van, let's go. And we finished. While Scott and Mike, you know, that's their decision. Um, Kurt wrote on, and uh, I was never more proud of a young man. Uh, there was some humor along the way when he uh, ran out his... Uh, the two-way radios that we set up for him, uh, he was singing. He was literally keying the microphone on his handlebars, and he was singing because I could hear it. And when he, uh, you know, it was just it was just funny that uh, when when I heard that, I says, hey, hey, is that, how did I say it? I says, oh, that's all I said was that when I heard him sing, I says, you sound like a girl. He goes, you guys can hear me? I says, yeah, get off my, my, uh, my, my, uh, my radio. And get get moving because the trick trucks are coming. He had lost a couple hours, but guys, you know what? Those kinds of fun times uh, you really miss. So so when when you hear about a tragic, untimely, and uh, I mean just it happens, but how how often does it happen? Where did Kurt lose his guardian angel? When did he lose it? He had it that morning, and that's the way I think about things. So I. Well then, let's do that. Let's let's go back to 2013 and the Baja 1000, um, and uh, let's go exactly to the location uh, to approximate our audience um, as we're going to talk about the uh, current attention to the inquest. And uh, uh, why don't you uh, uh, create the setting and tell everybody how? Uh, JCR knew that area and then uh, create the setting of uh, where this all happened. Yeah, I'll be glad to. And I'll also explain to the audience why this is important. It's important because we don't want it to happen again. What happened was a series, it was a, a cascade of, of failures. Um, some, the, the KTM GPS, you know, went out. So, where was it? Where was the problem? Well, Ivan didn't know if he was going to uh, surpass the 60 mile an hour speed limit down the, the pavement before he uh, got to hand the bike off to Kurt. So Auntie Kalman paced him in the helicopter. That's a no-no. You, you don't do that. Uh-huh. Let 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 Ivan lose a couple of minutes or something like that to the Honda. But by God, we had an edict for for Kurt even back in 2003. You do not leave. Kurt in the urban areas, and when you're when you have him out in the, the, the outer areas, got to have a helicopter over him, and he has to be able to communicate, and you need to be able to communicate to him. As far as the setting goes on this, 
Um, the, the spot tracking data is still available. I've gone over it. Uh, who first went over it, uh, I think, with a real good uh, fine tooth and comb was uh, Alyssa Ronick from ESPN. Uh, she, too, was very close to this. The setting is um, there's a video out that was, that was captured on dash cam 24 hours almost to the minute afterwards, and it's on YouTube, and the guys at Moss Brothers Racing, uh, Laws of Racing, they agreed not to take it down. But if you access uh, Nuevo Junction 2003 Baja 1000 Moss Brothers, I'll say it again, 2003 Baja 1000 Moss Brothers Racing, Nuevo Junction, take a ride. At, at minute 13, I think, 25, uh, you'll come to the area, to the spot. And it's, it's you know, we've, we've seen where the, the markers are and stuff. But there's a key key uh, piece of evidence, I guess you want to call it, uh, or landmark, etc. It's a stump. This is stump sticking out of the right side of the course, and that's where Kim Kacerik, we took him on this little video, and, and he said, yep, stop right here. That's where I, I moved the, the 2X across and put it up right against that stump so it could get a better uh, satellite feed. So that'll tell you. And what I did with our score bets, there's about 25 of us, um, you know, that are, that are interested in various uh, parts of this, this whole uh, incident. So it's not just me. Uh, we, we passed... We passed the turtle off. Ken Fisarek's known as the Baja Turtle. We would have him talk to other people just to make sure that, 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 that the story was consistent because that's what good investigating is. You check your sources, your resources. But with the Moss Brothers Racing, that's the one piece of evidence that stays there that shows exactly where everybody was but exactly where the, the problems were later. And that was, is, is, was there a, did the bikes uh, crash up farther north up the course because the spot tracking data and a debris field is what it's called, a debris field where there's uh, trauma to the ground, to the trees, it appears that there was another place. And uh, so we created a video using the Moss Brothers Racing, and we double speed, get the double speed up. It's very crude, but it, it rep represents about the average speed that uh, Kurt and then uh, Colton Udall are both running at that area. And uh, you know, up to, up to uh, 92 miles an hour one section, but what it doesn't show is is a strange phenomenon on the uh, – as, as Kurt was uh, about a mile from his uh, point of rest, um, the tracker does something funny, and I don't know what it's doing, but it sticks at 58 miles an hour in a normally 70-mile-an-hour area. So when you see those kind of things, you have to wonder. One thing that Ken Kacerik would tell us is that he always felt that, that uh, somebody or something hit Kurt with a stick. You use the word stick. And uh, I thought that's kind of odd. Like, what kind of a stick would do that and knock him off his bike? <clears throat> and um, I can't think of you know anything else right now. I'm not looking at my notes, but all of this stuff. When you look at the the, the stress that was put on the people, uh, the, the the pro class, or the, the qualifying, the early start, all that stress was had a toll on people. And I and I just wonder. How this could have happened in such a short time? And and we'll get to that, Bill. And, and, okay. and in particular, uh, Ken's uh, opinion about a stick. Uh, we'll we'll get to that at a certain point in time. But yeah. uh, let's let's reference back to that video because what the video does is uh, it gives us a frame of reference of proximity. Um, how close was the point of rest for uh, of Kurt Caselli and the two X? 
and where the uh, cattle guard, uh, the much discussed now cattle guard, having to do with uh, JCR's team is four miles. Four miles. The cattle guard is about. Uh, the, the, by the way, uh, to listeners, when you when you look at the video, if you want to look at it, or if you just want to walk away from this, that's fine too. We certainly understand. Um, the cattle guard is uh, located at either race mile 788 or 787, and that's just a reference point because the the, the course was pre-marked by a private company called uh, Zlusky Electric Company out of El Cajon. And then somebody else came in and took over, and the mileage has changed about two and a half to three miles off, and that's what sent the helicopters, uh, JCR and KTM's helicopters, uh, north of where Kurt had, was laying down there, so where even the Ken Kosera could hear them off in the distance going, why aren't these guys coming down here? Where, where are they? So the uh, about four miles after the cattle guard on the course, you'll, you'll pass Cactus Video, and then you'll just haul ass straight, not not particularly just pristine, but it's just for a motorcycle, you just get above all that stuff at 70, 80 miles an hour. And uh, then you make a right turn and you come down into a little uh, uh, valley, do a little switchback, and um, all of a sudden, boom, right there, you're in a clump of trees. And you stop it and you see the stump. And I don't know how, how you can't see a cow, a coyote, a car, a person. But that's what uh, Ken Kassar says. He thinks that it was always his opinion that something happened up further from the course, like where this this where the tracker starts going only at 58 miles an hour and sticks that like that. Um, he thinks that maybe Kurt fell and, and, and got off pretty hard and then got back on his bike and tried to, to move on until he just said, no, forget it. I'm just going to lay this thing down and take off my helmet. Right. And uh, also in your interviews with the the Federales, uh, they also uh, uh, mentioned a uh, a debris field and a a stopping point that was that has not been previously described. It was marked. It was marked by some ribbon, and I wasn't supposed to let you know that I spoke to the Federales, and it was only one of them. Uh, but yeah, the the guys. Uh, when I was down to the last Baja 1000, I met with uh, at the at, at uh, one of the Federales' requests. He asked that I. I meet with him, and I just tap the guys on the shoulders in McCaffrey's uh, pit. I says, hey, look, uh, I've been told to lay down on the ground uh, in this area and uh, and then wait wait for some some nice gentlemen to appear. And, and that's what I did. I just put, laid my uh, head down under a tree, and sure enough, it was quiet at the mouth. They drove up, and there was a black and white Ford and parked it right there in front of me, and they were very nice, and they just had a few questions. And some of those things they've asked me not to discuss. And they've uh, they identified uh, a spot on the race course that uh, they believed that uh, the 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 first uh, uh, part of this incident occurred. Yeah, it was it was north. What what happens is the tracker tends to uh, prove that too is that uh, where the first point of uh, point of impact let's call it that that's an accident the reconstruction term point of impact shows farther north. And then uh, after Udall passes uh, on the 1X, uh, there's some movement, and uh, it goes as far as 800 feet, I think it is, south, uh, back back to where the the uh, well-known um, uh, grave marker is or the uh, memorial marker is. And uh, what's also important is that you brought up uh, Colton Udall passing by. 
uh, via the satellite data, uh, the tracking data, uh, Colton passed by at a unusually slow speed. No, actually, he went uh, according to uh, the track. Remember, the mileage is off, and I'm on a, I'm not going to do his defense or his or his uh, not the defense, but uh, or going on the offense. Remember what I told you earlier is that the the mileages were being beamed up as inaccurate. They were inaccurate. So if he slowed down, he did slow down uh, after he passed Kurt to a, like 39 miles an hour. I don't know what caused that. He's never said anything about that, uh, about why he would slow down. Um, but it's just unusual. But you know what? Right before they redacted the uh, the weather and live feed, I can hear my friend Kim Carpenter calling for the Honda helicopter. And then she asks weatherman, a stand-in weatherman, for, uh, to try and get a hold of the Honda helicopter. Unfortunately, I think she does have the wrong frequency. Now, Honda has her own frequency. And uh, they and Weatherman has always had that. So there was another failure right there. Had she, she was she was calling out on the Weatherman channel. Yeah. Well, it's there on the live feed. And and see that's that's when you get novices and everybody is a novice at one time. But you spend forty years down there, like I do, and Kim coming out of uh, you know, District thirty seven, you know, I introduced her to Roger back in, in the two thousand and twelve. I needed help up in the, the that Reno 500, that fireworks race, and I couldn't think of anybody better on a closed course situation than to have Rescue Three's director, Kim Carpenter, up there. And after that, she she and Roger forged a relationship. But one thing they didn't do was uh, do their homework. Yeah, at some point we'll I'll get to uh, Kim Carpenter, but uh, it won't be at this moment. But what we're talking about now is the uh, inquest into uh, Kirk Caselli's death. Uh, and we're trying to set a stage for you folks that you get an idea of really how small this location is and how close uh, that the uh, so-called uh, rim story came from and that uh, the timing uh, was also um, interestingly incidental, uh, supposedly. Um, and the reason why I say that is because, well, Bill, why don't you tell the audience uh, the sequence of when Honda stopped and when uh, uh, Kirk Caselli uh, stopped on the course. Sure. Um, first of all, Kirk had about a two-minute physical lead and then down to about a minute physical lead um, on Udall as they uh, as they started up towards the Calibre. Uh But Udall was ahead on time by about two minutes. He started two minutes, actually three minutes. Uh, I think it works out that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, <clears throat> they stayed equal, and it shows that. And then suddenly at uh, 2.56 p.m., Udall stops. Well, at 2.56 p.m., Kurt's approaching, uh, he's up the course only about another mile or so. He stops at the cattle guard and stays there for 22 minutes, and Kurt keeps going for another three minutes and then all of a sudden stops. And... Um, and that's that's how it works. Uh, at the speeds, you're covering a lot of ground, though. If you take the Moss Brothers uh, racing, uh, it it seems like it takes an inordinate amount of time to get through that area. But on a motorcycle, with the the kind of caliber that these guys were, it is a short distance. It's really a short distance. Yeah, and let's also be clear about this. Uh, after hundreds of miles of racing, uh, they're very close. 
and for them to stop on the course uh, virtually at the same time, so close, is uh, uh, unu- very unusual. And we need to also point out, Bill, that uh, the location where uh, this occurred for JCR was uh, a, a a staging area that JCR used uh, often and knew uh, pretty intimately. Staging area was a pit location. I know that. It's a great pit location, great place to land a helicopter. Um, the cattle guard is really nothing. I, I don't see, and I don't, I don't believe it to today, and neither did Jim Fishback. Jim Fishback's an old racer, and he was online or something like that. He's one of our score vets. And though I like to keep everybody anonymous, he was... Uh, I was about to issue a public apology to Colton. And Colton, if you're listening to me right now, I wish I could have. But Jim said, no way do you apologize to that kid for that that rim. Um, He says that's impossible. He would have been hurt. Colton, you do a great job of, of, you know, at the finish line. It sounds convincing. I think you believe it. But you cannot explain that, that wheel that way. You just can't do it. You'd have to take off your forks. You'd have to take off... And and you, when people get done running through this Moss Brothers racing thing, Colton, you're going to see this, and you can do it yourself. You tell me how you got your, your, your front wheel so screwed up in such a short time while Kurt was leading down the, this runner away with the race. And that's a challenge. And I don't do that to people. I don't like to challenge people. But I am getting sick and tired of this stuff about people being in the dark about a lot of things. And then uh, when, when others uh, who have threatened me physically... Um, that I won't tolerate. It's not your country. It's not my country. It's our little sandbox that we get to go play in. But don't you ever, ever threaten me. Well, Bill, listen, we'll we'll get to that, and we'll also get to uh, other unsavory matters having to do with this inquest at a, at a point in time uh, when uh, it, it will be in our advantage to do so. But at this moment, uh, let's let's be absolutely clear that where supposedly – uh, this rim incident occurs is very close to where Kirk Caselli went down. Yeah, it's within four miles. It's four miles up the course. But to say it's very, very close, I know. I think I, I think that that's where you're thinking is, uh, Mike, and I'm going to have to give you a, a hold on that one. Kurt is down in a valley four miles away. You cannot see it from the helicopter. Uh, you you have score and score ops trying to uh, I'm sorry weatherman and score ops trying to reach you on a uh, on the regular frequency. Also, uh, Johnny Campbell did receive a call from a Honda executive up here who told me he says when I saw them both stop in the same basic area, he said I thought an ahito or some rancher got out and, and drew a firearm and tried to get him to stop because you you passed over it though Mike. That's unprecedented that after a handlebar-to-handlebar race, it's uh, 16 hours straight. And when I say handlebar-to-handlebar, they went up Highway 1 together, the two bikes. So when you suddenly see both bikes stop at the same time, what is going – what's wrong with that picture? Well, we also need to point out to the audience that in our uh, inquest having to do with uh, Kirk Caselli's death, this is also the same area – where uh, the Mertz incident occurred. Stephen Martz. Stephen Martz. Or Martz, excuse me. And that, that needs to be pointed out because that's the reason why that Honda executive uh, had that thought. That's what I was thinking, though. So I, I'm familiar with the Martz incident, and, uh, and Score was certainly familiar with it. Um, 
that's that was just a, a, a I don't know, you know, there was an arrest made in that shooting and um yeah, and and just bottom line, it it was it did have to do with uh uh drugs and yeah. uh and the and the individual was uh uh you know, uh thrown in the hooskow and uh innocent people typically aren't thrown in jail and held there and then convicted in a court of law that uh that they were uh you know, not doing what they what what was uh, they were convicted of. Uh, we all know the story, and if you don't know the story, you can go to BajaRacingNews.com. But suffice it to say, people thought that, you know, maybe there was some uh, 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 weapon play uh, having to do with uh, this incident. Yeah, P3s. You know, he's a dear friend of mine, uh, Honda executive who taught Bruce Ogilvy what and how to do things in racing. He's a Hilltopper member, and, you know, I, I love and uh, I wasn't surprised when he said, "Bill, I, I thought that some, somebody grabbed a gun out there, so I called Johnny in the helicopter, and I didn't, I didn't get any response." So that really scared him. Right, and, and uh, we do, I, and I, we I, do need to state that we don't have uh, anything in our hands having to do with uh, firearms. However, uh, there is a uh, uh, unanswered issue of a uh, uh, stated wound on Kurt Caselli and blood emitting from the wound uh, and being uh, pooled on the ground near his body uh, that was uh, reported and confirmed by uh, Ken Kasorik, who who found uh, Kurt Caselli. Yeah. Okay. We do need to cite that. Now, I was told uh, by uh, uh, the late Oscar Ramos uh, of uh, broken ribs uh, and chest injury, uh, and uh, there was no mention of a of a puncture. Uh, however, it I wouldn't pa- put it past the score attorney uh, to not mention uh, an open wound. If he even cared, I don't know. Um, I, I don't. I can't. You know, dead men tell no tales. Well, they do, and they do an interview while they're alive. <laughs> yeah. I know, no, no. Trust me. Yeah. You can, you can, you can ask uh, Eddie and Brandon Zavala, who drove me down to the to the race. I said I need to stay here three more days and go out to that accident scene. And I got friends named Gilbert Verity who says if he'd have known, he'd have gone with me. And we'd go out and we would have walked that those those miles. We would have. Well, yeah, but but your federale uh, interview, the the individual, oh. he he walked those miles. No, he didn't. And let me tell you this. My, I used to. This is how Roger offered me a job in 2012. I was the risk manager for Score. I worked for Danny Coe and Sal, mainly on the stateside races. But my first first death case uh, that I in, investigated was in 1986. So it's in my blood. It's it's what I do as a claims adjuster all my life, uh, law enforcement background, and there there is a need to investigate uh, accidents. No matter, I mean, there, there's proportionally it, it's important. But whenever you have a fatality, you send somebody and you document it. And then you report it and you report it honestly. And that's what Danny Coe really appreciated about my reporting on the for score when he was a when he was president of score. Right. Well the Even exact hey Bill, the exact opposite happened in this situation. The racing organization has now been proven uh to have covered up 
facts having to do with this incident. They misreported uh, at the very moment that uh, uh, Kurt's body was being removed from the area. They were misreporting to the press what actually went on that afternoon. And subsequently, uh, SCORE International has never uh, investigated. They've never stated what they believe had occurred. Neither has JCR. Uh, Johnny Campbell and anybody on his team has not stated what occurred that afternoon. And uh, now this is uh, something, Bill, that uh, was reported to uh, uh, BajaRacingNews.com early on, and it's I've never discussed this uh, on, on the open air, but uh, we have two witnesses that have told us that uh, the JCR chopper came down and landed that afternoon at that oh, location. Fun. That's that's what we would do. When I was in the chopper for Honda's B team in 2012, uh, we had to sit down, and the, the the race was delayed for an hour, and we just set our helicopters right down next to each other. And there, Bruce and I and and the, uh, uh, Mike Finley were having a little chat. And of course, in both of our helicopters, our front wheels, rear wheels, handlebars, all of that stuff that's that the public's not supposed to officially know about, but there's also radio communication. Okay. Spotters. The reason we do that and we cheat that way is because if you don't, you want to uh, eliminate as much risk for the rider to, to have a collision. That's why you have a helicopter over the lead motorcycles. So when when Auntie split uh, up with the KTM helicopter, that put Kurt at great risk. But then it's Kurt's decision whether or not to go. And if I'd have been standing there, I'd have slapped him on the ass and I said, "Back off to 75 percent. It ain't worth it." Wait till Auntie catches up to you. But I didn't get that chance. Right. And uh, so now we've we've talked about how this is in proximity, a very uh, small area, uh, relatively speaking, in a in a really long race. And we've talked a little bit about, and we'll get to it later, the conditions uh, at which these racers had been uh, operating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, we've also, of course, proven that SCORE International uh, has covered up, that they're implicated as being uh, uh, culpable in this situation, as well as uh, Baja Pits. They've been proven to be culpable in not providing correct aid. Um, And let me announce it uh, right here and now. Uh, Amex has advised me uh, that they believe that JCR is also culpable uh, having to do with uh, not providing mutual aid because because the the communications helo, the uh, JCR chopper was directly in the area. Uh, they had excellent communications in comparison with any kind of standard radio that's used in racing uh, at that low in that area at that time for that race, and that they had to know uh, Kurt Caselli's location because professionally. That's what you do when you're a motorcycle team. You have to know the location of your direct competitor, uh, and that at the time was Kurt Caselli. Uh, arch rival, direct competitor, closest rival. I mean, uh, whenever we, whenever I've been in a helicopter, it's you always want to know where your rider is at all times. That's number one. <clears throat> number two is uh, has anything happened with the other? What, what's the status of the other bike or the other car, for example? You want to know that it's fun. It's fun stuff to to know, and uh, you can you can actually uh, gauge your race that way. Um, if 
like, for example, when, when I was in a helicopter in 2002 and Honda's official B team um, fell out, um, we became the B team. And we would have never known that if we had not been talking to Kurt, I mean, uh, to uh, Bruce in the helicopter. You know, and, uh, and and let's let's talk about this. Uh, not only was the uh, Honda, excuse me, JCR helicopter located there uh, upon landing, but there was a pit nearby. They had pitted there in the past, and that they they knew the area like the back of their hand. Yeah, there's no question about that cattle guard. You're crossing over that cattle that same cattle guard in almost every race down there, sometimes twice. The way, the, way, the way the score is going right now, you're going to be going over that train a lot more uh, for as long as that lasts. But no, uh, in, the, in the 2013 Baja 500, five minutes, five months earlier, um, you know, the Honda had a pit there. And so I, I just don't buy this stuff. I can understand going 90 miles an hour and having your head up your back because you're worried that uh, Kurt's going to run away with your race. But... Um, so well, what? okay, no, no, no. That you're clear about that, Bill. But let's let's also be clear about uh, something else that we've discussed at length, and that is when uh, motorcycle teams, some motorcycle teams, see the other team walking away with the the event. Uh, there are times that a uh, a team will throw the towel in by uh, creating some kind of uh, equipment issue, and. And, and right, and some people think that that's what was happening at the cattle guard with this uh, this story. Yeah, somebody told me that early on. They said, "Well, maybe uh, maybe they just saw that they were going to lose the race and and uh, t- uh, drop dropped a knee. I think that's the term in boxing. Yeah, they took a knee. I don't I don't want to you know but that that will really raise the no. But here's the problem, yeah. Bill, with with JCR not addressing this uh, since 2013. Uh, at you know, there's a certain point where it, these matters must be discussed, and it's for two reasons: because of uh, the life of Kurt Caselli, and then the other is because of future racers. You know, I, I've been I've been on this uh, matter, and then the other score bets have kind of dropped off. You know, they gave their input. Uh, I we had three separate uh, former first overall winners talking about the helicopter procedures and all that stuff, whether they race for Team Green or Honda, I can't tell you, but I, they did help. Um, you know, and I'm just thoroughly convinced that, that uh, I haven't wasted a day on this. If, it's, if I've thought about this or worked on this every day, so what? Uh, it's the best free time I've ever spent in my life. And I know that, that Kurt is looking down and saying, thank you, Bill. Thank you for doing this. And that's well, let's... And I and I want to thank you also, Bill. And I also want to uh, thank the the rest of the score vets that uh, contributed to uh, the works that not only have uh, have provided results up till now, but will also provide additional very very pointed results in the next few months. Well, there's actually promises here, and that's and I, I don't want to really. I know that maybe it sounds like I, I toot my own horn, but we did make a promise to Roger, and that was in writing. We said, we promise you, we're not a threat, it's not a warning, it's a promise. If you ever leave another motorcycle rider out there unattended and unaccounted for and do nothing, we'll, uh, we'll let the family know what we know about this case. Well, you know, I do need to address this. George Antill pointed out in the last uh, uh, Baja 500 that the uh, so-called new rescue chopper 
was used very sparingly. Uh, it, it never reached any of the uh, uh, motorcyclists who perished, and it was uh, used almost exclusively for uh, shooting television. It was not used for rescues. No. There, there you go. The helicopter that I used to fly in in school when they had me do the, the risk management for, for them, first of all, they, uh, they would always come up to me and say, Bill, we hope you don't have to go to work today. I said, I hope I don't either. But that would be in that helicopter. And what was in our helicopter? Not cameras. We had EMT and me and, and then uh, the, the, the pilot. And uh, you can drop me off and go do your shooting, you know, your, your, uh, your merry, uh, you know, filming and stuff, but just leave me there with a radio or a satellite phone and I'll do the investigation. Um, and then, uh, but you can't, what's more important, getting some film or a human life? I, I just, I'm a little bit con- uh, concerned, if not alarmed about that. Right. Well, we've proven already that SCORE International and Roger Norman are culpable in this uh, death of uh, Kurt Caselli, we've already proven that. Uh, they've also been proven uh, to be covering up uh, the, the situation having to do with the 2013 Baja 1000. Now Amex is on the tail of uh, the actual uh, physical nature of what occurred, both the Kurt and in the area that it occurred. And that's why we were talking about proximity in this show and we wanted to describe to the audience really what a finite, small area this was, and that it, this did not happen, uh, the Kurt uh, Caselli incident did not happen uh, uh, by itself. There were other strange circumstances surrounding this incident that need to be d- discussed and described because once uh, the audience uh, gets a feel for what actually occurred in this situation, uh, they'll understandably have questions in their minds, no matter how stalwart they are, supporters of whoever, they will have their own questions. And if they don't, well, then uh, the people who do have questions uh, need to be satisfied with some real answers. And the important part of uh, this whole situation is BajaRacingNews.com and Gary Newsom, my uncle, is, is the only location where you can get any of this information. There is no other source of information other than the score vets. And now that the score vets are working with Amex uh, and their new effort with the governor of uh, Baja, California, uh, you know, uh, the, the folks down in Baja are sick and tired of the negligent, uh, false, uh, inadequate, race operations and uh, race rescues, and so the governor is acting. Yeah, the disrespect to the Mexican people, to the racers, you know, uh, I suppose there's that elite crowd, and this is just a personal feeling. And by the way, Roger, again, hello, Roger, I'm still waiting for an answer. Um, Back in 2003, I told Kim that I'd sit right next to her at the monitor, and I still speak Spanish, Roger. I'm still waiting for that answer. Hey, can I come down and help you guys? Still haven't heard that. Yeah. Well, listen, I, 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 I wish you luck on that, uh, and I, I salute you for, uh, uh, for your Herculean effort in providing this great documentary uh, uh, evidence having to do with what occurred in actuality having to do with this incident. And the more that uh, we look into it, both uh, BajaRacingNews.com and also Off-Road Live, it it raises uh, additional questions that we are going to follow. Now, currently, 
Uh, the reporting that we're doing alongside uh, Amex is that uh, uh, the the past, for the roughly the past six months, uh, we've been looking at uh, JCR, and it's pretty plain that uh, you know the reason why JCR departed out of uh, not not doing any more uh, Baja racing is pretty plain. They should be thoroughly if they're not embarrassed, uh, you know they should feel some guilt uh, in celebrating like they did at the finish line of the 2013 Baja 1000? Well, I, I honestly don't think that the, that the Honda boys really knew what was going on. I mean, I, I know Mark a little bit, Mark Samuels, Dave Kemmer, you know, I know them just in talking with them, and I, I don't question their integrity. I just don't think that they knew. And well, you know, you know, Well, you know that they knew that he was dead. No, that's what my point is. No, they did know that he was dead, and so did George Antill. And George Antill has said that he was ordered by Roger Norman not to mention that Kurt Caselli was dead in any of his uh, proceedings at the uh, finish line, and they knew that he had perished uh, early on in the afternoon. Who's they? The whole group of uh, broadcast and uh, functionaries with uh, Score International right. at the finish right. line. But I don't think that the Honda riders themselves knew or would want to believe it. Think about that. Hang on a second, Mike. Well, Tim Wygand approached uh, uh, George. George told Tim. Tim went to Roger, and then that's that's uh, the the force that essentially pushed uh, Score to uh, issue a press release. Okay, then that's fine. But you just made a statement earlier is that they, as they celebrated at the finish line, you said that they knew that he was dead. No, they didn't. It was afterwards, I think, that that uh, that uh, Timmy said, "Hey, man, what about Kurt? I want to talk to Norman about this. You know, this is a long time. You know, and it was uh, we. I already we found out who you know was the first one to to officially find out." Uh, publicly and, and could have put it out there uh, publicly about uh, Kurt being dead. What do you what do you think uh, J, JCR knew? They 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 turned around and flew uh, and and searched for Kurt, but just in the wrong area with the KTM helicopter. So we knew that they were looking for what a dead body? No, looking for a guy with a flat tire, a blown motor. That's what's expected, not death. Remember we talked. Yeah, about but the guy the guy they've been competing with, the guy that they've been uh, hunting and following for the entire race, and that they they not only tracked and were was watching his every move for the past four races. JCR didn't know where Kurt Caselli was that afternoon. You know what? I, I can't even answer that question. All I want to do is address this point: is that I, I don't believe that you do that to, to riders at all. I, I think I understand why Norman tried to, to keep it quiet for a while. He didn't know what the fuck to say. He knew that his helicopter should have been over that, that area. He knew that, you know, uh, uh, or he can, he, can, he can blame other people. But the bottom line is, is that when that Internet feed went out earlier that day and, and, uh, and Bob Steinberger gave out the, the cell numbers for Oscar Ramos and Roger saying, if you need status, call them. I'm dead up here. I, I'm in the dark. Man, that that there's not a whole lot of tracking you can do then. It's only no, but the feed out. the feed was only dead to uh, weatherman. Everybody else yeah. on the face of the planet uh, had the information, 
And you and I both know that even a public figure, a public individual, we won't name him at this moment because he's currently being investigated. Uh, This person knew Kurt's exact location within minutes. Yeah. That is being that is being investigated as well as his uh, uh, internet emissions that afternoon. Yeah. Very suspicious. Very suspicious. So let's let's wrap it up, Bill. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, first of all, I want to say something about money came up right now, and, and somebody said, uh, uh, "Have you how are you how are you getting compensated for this?" You know what? I can't uh, accept any money. It was amazing how many people wanted to come on board for money, and had made offers right off the bat. I think it was even before the uh, the uh, inaugural uh, Kirk Caselli Memorial Ride. There was guys who wanted to offer me a motorcycle and a helmet and go riding. And I thought, that's what really helped me out in this one, is that when it's like Alcoholics Anonymous, they don't accept corporate funds because if you do, you have to say what the corporation says. You have to do as the corporation does. And so that's why neither I or any other sport bet will or ever consider taking any money from anybody for any of our work. And that's a bad thing because if I... If I was being paid, I don't know what rate, uh, I, have, I have a fee for when I do a, a expert uh, witness fees, but if I was paid for this, I, I don't know that. I wouldn't be poor. <laughs> well, Bill, but how I, can how can people get a hold of you in case they have any information you want to oh, hear? Yeah. Please, my, my phone number is on 24-7. It's area code 619-916-6155. I'll say it again. 619-916-6155, and a shout-out to all of you who have sent and have called uh, your support. And wanting to remain on, anonymous, I totally understand that. You've got vendors and riders, people that are still active. That's what, what I think the slogan with the sport vets is, um, we're all around you. You don't even know who you – Roger Norman could be a score vet if he just gets a little bit more time under his belt. He'll have the expertise to do it. So, so Bill, uh, you continue to investigate the uh, the Kirk Caselli incident, and you're working on these uh, stories. We wish you the best of luck. We uh, greatly appreciate you coming on air on Off Road Live and your uh, continued uh, uh, dogged uh, uh, look into uh, races uh, off road for uh, risk assessments. Thank you very much for everything. Yeah, you got it, man. Thank you. Take care now. Have a good evening. We'll be right back with Barstow 250 race results right here on Off-Road Live.
World Live with our friends from the Baja Racing Club on the beach in San Diego, Ram Trucks, Hard Rock, Marlboro, Budweiser, Red Bull, BajaSafari.com, the king of Baja, and TeamValvoline.com. Well, upcoming this week, July 21st to the 24th, the Supergirl Surf Contest. And then, of course, next week's show will be on the beach in Oceanside, California, July 25th at 4 p.m. We'll have all the results from the Supergirl. And that weekend in Gene, Nevada, the Snore Midnight Special, July 29th through the 30th. And don't forget the Off-Road USA, August 6th, Monster Mike's Barbecue Blast. Your RSVP is required. You're listening to Off-Road Live. And uh, let's get to the uh, race results from the awesome Barstow 250, the Moore race. Brent Parkhouse, Class 1 results. He was uh, first in the class, second overall. Wayne Ellis was second, third overall. Kelly Mather was third in Class 1. Clarence Clearly fourth. Mike Pasowicz fifth. Mike Valentine sixth. Rob Archibald seventh. Rob, what's going on, man? You're hitting the skids ever since uh, ever since you tasted a little bit of good stuff in Baja. And, of course, Class 6100 results. Uh, Kerry Chrisman first. Uh, second place, Sean Frank in Class 10. First overall, the Sierra LED most dominant driver, Daryl Mead. Class 10, first place and first overall. Congratulations. In second place, Johnny Buss converting that uh, basketball helium into some power out in the desert with more racing. Kathy Kirkmeyer was in third, J.J. Schnarr in fourth. Callie Nguyen in uh, fifth, Stephen Jangard in sixth, Brian Myers in seventh, Jacob Hanberg in eighth, and Jared Salenbach in ninth. In class 12 results, Lou Farrar first place. Class 5 results, Parker Gabrowski first, Ray Promer second, Adam Spitz third, Mike Belk fourth, Blade Hillbrand fifth, and Daryl Clifton in sixth place. In class 1600 results, Mitchell Alsop in first, Willer Morgan in Wheeler Morgan in second, Bob Scott was in third, Zach Sizelove fourth, Jack Clinkenbeard in fifth, Brian Jeffrey in sixth, Tim Craig seventh, Johnny McCall eighth, Jacob Myers ninth, Mason Cullen tenth, Emmy Hall in eleventh, and Brian Johnson twelfth. Let's take a look at uh, Class 1400 results. Greg Zumwalt first, Adam Leonhardt second, Bobby Quarnstrom third, Scott Simino fourth, Sawyer Chavez fifth, Alan Bima sixth, Mark Crum seventh, Grant Grable eighth, Madison Dormack ninth, Wayne Lugo tenth, Jesus Galvan eleventh, Robert McFall twelfth, Mike DeCamp thirteenth, and Dean Miller, the last two, 13th and 14th, no laps uh, in that particular class. We do want to uh, celebrate and uh, congratulate the uh, more racing uh, folks. Had a great number of racers out there and uh, truly a, a, a great time had by all by more racing out at the Barstow 250. 
congratulations with that. Again, coming up this week, we've got uh, lots of stuff on Off-Road Live. Be sure to tune in for that. And, of course, uh, we will be in Oceanside next Monday, a week from today, uh, we won't be at the Baja Racing Club, but uh, we've got some new digs up in Oceanside. We're going to use them as headquarters for the latter part of the summer up in Oceanside. We'll tell you more about uh, in next week's show. We want to thank everybody for tuning in. We also want to thank uh, Baja Bill uh, for uh, calling in and giving his report on the Kurt Caselli uh, inquest and, of course, the ongoing inquest having to do with the Caselli death in the 2013 Baja 1000. For our friends, Ram Trucks, Hard Rock, Marlboro, Budweiser, Red Bull, BajaSafari.com, and TeamValvoline.com. From the Baja Racing Club, keep your summer going, folks. We'll see you next week on Off-Road Live. <laughs> hey, we know how to do it. We know how to do it. the Happy trailer. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.